Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We're the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks. And today... The Greg Seipel Award. That was quite a long pause. It was good. It was dramatic. <laughs> I felt Keeping like I was, you in, on the, the edge I was in the movie seat. theater with that one. <laughs> yes, we got uh, Mary McGowan in the virtual studio with us today. That's right. And uh, we had, due to a little bit of Zoom difficulties, um, she popped in just a little bit after we started our, our regular talk about for the morning. Um, and we we're so thankful to be able to chat with Mary. So if we sort of jump into it on this episode uh, with her interview portion, that is why. Uh, it's, but it's it was a great we chat. So and, excited. Uh, very much enjoyed getting the chance to catch up with her. Quite, yes. So listen on, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Cheers. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. <laughs> and I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. <laughs> yeah. You're doing this with a lot of gusto today. I like it. (laughs) Covering bicycling, trains, transit, adventures, and life hacks. And to kick it off at the head of the hour, thanks to our nationally recognized top beer sponsor in Oregon, the Beermongers. Beermongers on Southeast Division and 12th. And thanks to our Patreon donors that keep us going. Right on. I did not get this at the Beermongers, but I do have to say... Uh, in a piece of news I've gotten huge over the last week. Look at how tiny this can is in my hand. It's very big because you're holding it up to the camera screen. Because I'm a giant. Ah. And also it's it's only like seven ounces. Does it rhyme with Oka-Ola? <laughs> it, it does. Is it uh, a red can with a silver label? Yes. This is what you get on the airplanes now. Oh, okay. Instead of usually they will pour... Uh, a soda into your into a plastic cup with some ice. Mm-hmm. Now they give you the whole can, but the can is seven point five. Oh shit! No, my my trick won't work anymore. What's up? Oh, uh, <laughs> so I am one of those like people that tries to maximize their value per dollar on airlines. Ask for no ice. Uh, I just ask for the can. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, can I just can I just have the can? <laughs> Which is totally cool. Like, that's common practice. Oh, yeah. I remember uh, when Anna started her journey into flightdom, uh, I asked her because I was like, am I the asshole? <laughs> am, I, am I that person that flight attendants like to just kind of um, like talk about hushed when they get back no, from, no. from serving? Like, ooh. B B six B seventy two like uh, what a jerk they asked for a whole can of soda 
Did you say 72? That's a huge plane, man. Oh, is it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we're talking like that's the number of rows back. A A405. <laughs> Are you on an aircraft carrier now? <laughs> I don't know. Probably. I, I, don't, I don't fly. I, when's the last time I was in a plane? I don't think I've been in a plane since... <clears throat> I went to India. I think that was the last time I was in a plane. Oh. I only pay attention, like, when I go to do the booking, and I'm like, is it a window seat? No? Okay, well, is there a place where I can sit next to a window? Okay, I'll take that one. Right, right. Do you remember um, the good old days when they used to, uh, like, incentivize people to take the emergency exit as opposed to charge extra for it? Oh. They charge extra for it? Uh, last time I booked a flight, they did. Oh yeah, it's like, it's like uh, they bill it as extra foot room. And I think it's right. a $50 it extra, extra like, per seat now. I did not know that. Probably because, one, the the chances of an emergency landing or needing those emergency exits are pretty slim. And, and so I imagine a lot of people who would not really care about the exit row so much, but um, about the foot room. Oh, yeah. Would oh, really yeah. it's get all, on that. It's all about the foot room. Yeah, I used um, to. I used to like try to volunteer for those slots, but I, I get I, maybe it was just the airline I was booking down to New Zealand. Uh, but yeah, it was like fifty dollars surcharge to see in the in the exit row. I did not know that. Yep. Wow. Well, and you know me with my, I'm like, I'm not paying fifty dollars for that. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> I will. I will get blood clots and, uh, <laughs> you know, son of a gun, <laughs> sit in my own seat. I will get thrombosis. Yes. I don't care. Yes, please take a take a thinner before you hop on the international <laughs> flight. Um, speaking of the beer mongers, I am drinking a awesome sauce, hazy IPA from Ascendant Beer Company. Nice. And this is a. One pint, 19.2 fluid ounces, 6.1 alcohol by volume, 42 IBU, based and craft brewed in Portland, Oregon, according to their label. Right here, huh? I don't know if I've had them before, but I have had them now. That's cool. That's my story. As far as hazy goes, it's a good hazy. Nice. It's not like... Like, what do you say when something is what you expect it to be? Like, yes, this is what I thought it would this be. This meets expectations? Yes, it meets expectations <laughs> in, like, a pleasant way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. No, I didn't. I wouldn't think of that as a pejorative at all. Gotcha. Oh, Mary! Hey! Yeah, you made it! Yeah. Um, wow, it's funny to hear y'all, um, like, not in a podcast format. <laughs> it's us, just different. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How are you Hi. today? I'm good. Yeah. And then I like randomly went on a bike tour last week. So nice. <laughs> Seattle. So that was, that was just a, that was just like a really lucky fluke though. A friend of mine got furloughed and we went uh, on the, um, the Washington Cascades loop um, for adventure cycling. Okay. And it was just on her bucket list. And she was like, let's just go camp in the woods for a while. We just, we have to fly into Seattle. But besides that, we're fine. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we did it. So, yeah, I call it like it's the. I was I was trying to like encapsulate all like there's so many decisions that an individual makes, and it's like we're all doing the best we can. And I view I call it like the mental overhead of like okay, like I'm trying I'm doing the best I can. Obviously, like I I give a fuck, but also I need my release and I need to be like mentally well. And like sometimes that means that I will take certain decisions that mean that I can get out and do these things. 
to be able to come back stronger or, you know, to mitigate the risk as much as like is humanly possible. Cause like none of us are perfect. And sometimes it's really nice to go do a thing with a friend. Yes. My gosh, a thousand percent. I was in such a bad space before, before going on this trip. I was just like, this is ball of anxiety and not doing anybody any good. And so as much like guilt as I felt like going out, like once I was out there, I was like, well, this was the right thing because it was just, I needed like a 10 day reset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, and I was telling my friend, like, I wish I didn't need a 10 day reset. I want to just be able to not need that, but fighting, fighting that wasn't doing me any good. Like I needed to just get, aw- get out of my wonderful, very blessed life for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um I think every day on this trip, we just looked at each other and said, we are so spoiled. We're like so lucky. We're so privileged to like be able to do this. And so we were definitely cognizant of that. Um, it's, it's like hard, like balancing that with also just, you know, being able to be in the moment and just enjoy it for mm-hmm. sure. Well, sometimes also, you know, getting out into the woods, your, your exposure factor is that much less. And so it's like, I make the comparison of I'm better off like going out to try to do something in the surrounding area than I am taking a bike ride on the street that I live on because Mm -hmm. I am way, way more exposed to people and vectors just within like a 10 block radius than a 10 mile radius. Once you get out past that, you're actually looking really good. Man, I came back to South Carolina and I was like, I don't know what y'all have been doing, but not, not the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in out west, like everybody is just, I, I feel like a lot, especially in the, the cities, people have adapted a lot better. Whereas where I live in South Carolina, um, bless our hearts, we're just going straight out to the restaurants and straight out as if like nothing ever happened. Yeah. And it's, it's not good. It's not good. So when I was in Missoula last week, it was kind of, it kind of had that feel. It's the biggest city in Montana, which means it's like 70,000 people. I think it might be more than that at yeah. this point, but not that big, but, um, it's small enough. And also Montana has so much remoteness in general, like between their cities that a lot of people have, I don't, I don't want to say let their guard down, but I don't have a better phrase. Like, yeah, we've kind of let our guard <laughs> yeah. down. And, it, and yeah. what I felt over there was also this social pressure to also not be masked up, to also, like, you know, just take it as if it was any other day pre-corona. Mm-hmm. Wow. Pre-corona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really, it was, it, was, uh, it was an interesting experiment in social pressures and how I respond to them. Um, and realizing, like, it's a good thing I don't drink. Mm. Because I succumb to peer pressure real easy. And your inhibitions would be lowered. <laughs> and my inhibitions would be even lower, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, even here in Portland, it definitely feels um, a little bit like an uphill struggle sometimes. And it'll be interesting like I was listening, I guess, as a foil to the Go Dig a Hole podcast and recently caught up with their episodes. But the last five episodes have been their quarantine uh, kind of coverage in terms mm-hmm. of, of them doing uh, releases. And 
from the initial like hey you know it's it's all good like let's wash our hands it'll be all right to like holy shit this thing is real and (laughs) just (laughs) seeing that progression and like listening to five episodes in one day and just really seeing it go like uh even here in town you know there's there's still folks at the grocery store that aren't wearing masks or don't care or don't enforce um and on my side of it I found a pretty good newsletter that is uh, deeply science-based and just kind of does like a daily update of here's like what actual CDC scientists and world scientists are saying. And it's much more foreboding than like anything you'll see out in the news. So I try to like find the middle ground between, you know, like we were talking about that social pressure and then also reading these articles by folks who are studying this and being like, we will be screwed if we do not get to 95% face mask wearing within the next month uh like there, there will simply be people who die because of that um yeah so yeah it's been it it's been pretty real but That's at intense. the same time yeah. you know one only has so much energy <laughs> and uh right. the ability to do quote-unquote the right thing uh and i think even those goalposts tend to shift as time progresses yeah yeah, yeah definitely so, sorry, not to doom and gloom us at, at the top of the episode. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot, to, a lot to chew on, a lot to think about yeah. out there. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about the Greg Seipel Award. This was last summer, uh, wasn't it? About a year yeah. ago. Yeah. We were given this award. Tell us what this is um, and uh, what has become of this. Yeah, so Adventure Cycling has this really cool program that um, if you're under the age of 30, definitely look into, or if you know people under the age of 30, definitely look into. Um, I actually turned 31 this year, so when I applied for it, I was about to turn 30. So it was like, oh, this last-ditch effort. Uh-huh. And I had applied one other time before, and then I, when I saw the recipients, I was like, Oh God, like, why did I apply for this? Like, they are so much more deserving than me. <laughs> and so, to be quite honest, um, when I applied, uh, it was fall or winter of 2019. Oh, sorry, I guess it would have been 2018. And then early 2019, I found out that I got it. Um, I applied, quite frankly, because you got a year free membership. <laughs> Nice. And, <laughs> hey, that's valid. That's totally valid. And I was like, hey, I'm about to turn 30. Like, why not? Why like, not? you know, and I'll mention these things that I've gotten involved in. And yeah, and they called me back and they were like, oh, no, this is really interesting. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, this is, this is so great. So um, they do, um, assuming that the grant stays the same, um, they have been doing uh, four, um, four, applicants get awarded every year and it's kind of like two tiers so one tier is for uh, people who are just getting into bike touring and if you do an outreach project for them especially that targets young people and especially people who typically aren't part of the you know cycling world um, as it is so this is even more prevalent right now of course uh, getting more diversity in um, in cycling getting more women involved, getting more people of color involved um, in bike touring and bike travel is um, especially their focus. They've even like doubled down on that recently. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they like reaffirmed like their, their interest in that, which is really, really cool to see. And the first two people that um, are just getting into bike touring, what they get for doing their outreach project is they get equipped with a bike 
they get set up with a tent, a sleeping bag. Um, we have, they have, um, adventure cycling has awesome sponsors that so you get like a Surly, uh, I believe is your bike and you get a big Agnes tent, um, and sleeping bag. Uh, you get Arkle panniers. You're, you are like all set up for so going on a, a bike tour. Up, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. like, here you go. Here's everything you yeah. need. Um, and then I've already done some bike touring. So the one that I applied for is the leadership award. And so there's the bike touring award. I could be messing up these names, but I know that the one that I applied for is the leadership award. <laughs> and the leadership award um, is also super cool. Um, that's for if you already like have your setup and you've done some bike touring and you want to get more into leading bike tours um, on like another level. So you get um, sent to the leadership training course. I did the one that they did in Denver last year. Um, they have, I think, one in Illinois and one in Florida. I'm sure the the locations change, but they try to do them in different parts of the year at different locations um, so that people can go to this leadership training course and get all trained. You can actually um, lead an adventure cycling course Uh, sorry, a tour. You can lead a tour if you do the course. Um, And then the really cool part is you get an adventure cycling trip. So I was going Mm. to go to Alaska this summer (laughs) and do um, the Golden Circle, which goes into the Yukon from Juneau. It's like a 350-mile loop. Um, And so that is postponed. (laughs) I am hoping to do that next year whenever things improve. So... um, they have still, they've allowed all anyone who signed up for an adventure cycling tour, um, whether or not you have a scholarship to do it, uh, you can uh, just reschedule with them. Um, and adventure cycling is a nonprofit, so they run their tours differently than um, than like back roads or trek travel or like another like major bike touring company would do it. They're very focused on getting people. I'd say like to be self-sufficient and supported, yeah. but not like catered to. Mm-hmm. That's my word. <laughs> empowerment based. Empa- yeah. Very empowerment based. And so from the leadership training course, um, they want you to go out into your community and be like equipped to empower people to do their own kind of bike travel without over facilitating or just doing everything for them. And since I, um, I applied on the basis of working with a local nonprofit called Momentum Bike Clubs that gets um, underserved youth in the community out on bikes. And my whole pitch was, you know, we've got these bikes, we've got the equipment, we've got the platform. We would really love to be able to take the youth out um, on an overnight, even on a multi-night overnight. Um, there are certain places in the Southeast where we could we could make that happen. Um, and we really just need some background knowledge. So that's kind of where the leadership course came in and was super helpful because I would have gone in completely blind had I not gotten the scholarship and I wanted to take the youth out. And I probably, I know I would have done too much for them. I would have over planned and over, um, I would have done a lot of stuff myself that from, it's kind of funny because it's a leadership training course, but really you're learning how to not 
stick yourself right in the middle of things. You're learning how to facilitate other people really, you know, taking, taking ownership. Um, and bike touring is such a experience of self-empowerment of, of learning to do things yourself and learning to do things that you thought you couldn't do. That's certainly been my experience. And so the, the main takeaway that I got from the leadership course was to really, I know I'm use, overusing this word, I need a thesaurus, but to empower the youth to, to really make it their own and take more, um, take more ownership, take more responsibility on than we usually give them. Um, and bike touring, like taking an overnight really gives them that space. Like we have the, the opportunity now to say, yep, you're, you're in charge of cooking your own meal. Here's, you know, the basics <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you have to pitch your own tent and, and they get so much more out of that than if I had done it for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there- there's just so much more to take away. Yeah. Was there a certain uh, amount of growing pains uh, when it came to this first overnight and, and, and sort of having these kids uh, set up their own campsite or, or do more for themselves than, than maybe you were expecting? Maybe yes. they were expecting? <laughs> yes. So uh, we have taken small steps. We haven't done our the fully-fledged um, – Multi-night overnight was scheduled for June of this year. So we hadn't gotten to that level yet. But last year, before we took, before I took this course and we really got into exploring bike travel with them, we went on a car camping trip. And um, funny story from that, we took the, we took about 14 youth out across the state. We drove four hours to, um, to the coast or, we're on the Asheville side <laughs> of South Carolina. So we're just, we're in Asheville in North Carolina, but we're like an hour drive South of there. Um, so for reference, we're like in the foothills of the Blue Ridge mountains. And so we drove across the state to get to Charleston and, um, or Huntington beach, which is near Myrtle beach. And um, it was this really cool opportunity because our youth could go and meet the youth from another youth group that wanted to start, one of these biking clubs and um, we planned everything out. We did everything for them, but we said when we got there and we had set up every, like the campsite, we said, okay, get your sleeping bag or get your sleeping mat. I was really adamant that they get a sleeping mat. And I made the gross assumption that they knew to get a sleeping bag. Um, Oh, and a lot of these youth had never gone camping before. They'd never slept anywhere but their bed. So it was a huge blind spot. And I'm constantly like learning about my own blind spots, working with, with youth who have never been outside, who have not, uh, in, like in this capacity, have, have not had these experiences. You know, things that we take for granted, like, yeah, obviously grab a sleeping bag. But I was like, you really want a sleeping mat. I was so adamant about that, that they heard sleeping mat. And they thought that, I mean, they didn't know how much sleeping the temperature was going to drop. Sleeping mm. bag, right. Yes. yes. So the next, this was a two-nighter. So the first night, everyone woke up and we had to go like ride this in this like local charity ride. Mm. And we're talking about a lot, like, like 14, very tired, not well-rested 
teenagers. <laughs> so, of course, they felt horrible. And we kind of backed up. We had to back up a little bit. We're like, okay, so this is what you need. <laughs> and, um, you know, just, just laying laying out a little bit more groundwork was clearly necessary. Sure. So um, that was a really valuable experience though because then when I look at doing this project getting to them to the point where they are doing everything literally I want them doing everything themselves I want to set up my own tent and no one else's I don't want to be worried about (laughs) losing anyone's fork (laughs) or someone saying she has my sleeping mat nope y'all have to work that out Mm -hmm. um getting to that point I realized that we were going to need steps so we did a lock-in overnight in February, right before all this COVID happened. And um, what we did was we just worked on getting the bikes to the overnight and they had to set up, all their gear was there, but they had to set it all up. Um, we went over the basics and like practiced everything, but in a very like kind of low stakes environment. Yeah. And um and then in April, the plan was to do a one night overnight. And it still is just, you know, TBD in terms right. of when it's, um, when restrictions allow us to, to get back to our more typical schedule. Um, we'll be looking at doing an overnight where they actually take the gear with them and set it up. But we've already kind of done this this step one, which I was super proud of them for honestly putting together a tent. We, we kind of made it into a game or a competition. And I said, all right, you're going to pitch everything and I'm going to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they did, I mean, they did awesome. And it's kind of like figuring out that level of how much responsibility do you give them without overwhelming anybody? I don't want to make anyone cry, but I <laughs> do. <laughs> Um, you know, I do want them to, to have some takeaways and, and have some skills to then build on. So out of a total of three different sessions, they would end up with all the skills that they need to really just be able to like go out and overnight. So. A point that you had put out there, um, in terms of like having a preconception about leadership, but then having the act of leadership in terms of like, I'm not here to do it for you. I'm here to kind of observe and to step in if needed. Um, that really struck a chord with me. Um, and some of my background has been in outdoor leadership. And I think that's something that I really struggled with for the first couple of years was like, I know how to do this. I'll do it for you. And then like you find out that A, your participants aren't learning anything and B, you're completely exhausted because you're just running around camp putting out fires. Um, so I really appreciated that you mentioned that uh, because what I've come to learn is uh, over many trials and errors, leadership really is that ability to step back and more to sort of delegate and to observe um, so that you can be ready to step in when somebody really needs it at that crucial point that they're really looking to overcome something and then are, are able to continue and to really um, sort of self-drive past that point. Yeah, definitely. Um, that was a major focus of the adventure cycling course. And a lot of people, uh, there were about, oh gosh, I think there were about 20 of us total who were taking this course. Um, and some of the people who came were just doing it more for like how to apply it to their work 
situation or how to apply it just as like a kind of professional development sort of scenario. They weren't, and some people were looking for a job with adventure cycling. And then some people are like me who I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe I'll lead tours for adventure cycling. This sounds like something I want to learn more about. But we really like ran the whole gamut of what kind of, you know, what kind of things are you looking to get out of it? Um, What kind of skills are you going to take away from this course? And it is, it is seriously not to be like cheesy. It has seriously impacted everything that I do. The, the uh, motto for lack of a better word of the trip was um, of the course experience was um, to allow people the dignity of their own suffering. (laughs) (laughs) That. it's kind of hard to explain without like going through like all of the training and like the role play activities and like the scenarios that we like rehearsed and went through to like really see how it applies. But your impulse is just to go in and fix things. Like I think most people just want to go in and like control a situation and just like make it right. But so it was like teaching you how to not do that and just, let people make their own mistakes and learn from them. Obviously, if someone's doing something that's clearly unsafe, you have to put, a, you have to like have boundaries. But it's like, I just apply it so often. I mean, I work with kids in a school and um, as a speech therapist, I see kids, you know, making mistakes all the time. And even in my job, like just making like, oh, I just, I just want to tell you how to do it. But like allowing them that space to to mess up and to learn from it and to figure it out themselves is so much more of a valuable experience and it it's so much it's a much better teacher than someone just telling you how to do it and that's that doesn't end with childhood like even as adults like we we need to learn from our mistakes and we need to be kind of thrown into the deep end sometimes to really to really figure it out. Yeah, definitely. It's like uh, what that made me think of is sort of a parallel in podcasting or interviewing is like you want to just keep a conversation running and like something I always have to work on is not talking. (laughs) And I I get better slightly over the years, you know, but sometimes it's better to just be like, nope, just let it I'm just going to sit here and have it be quiet. (laughs) Uh, You know, try not to go for that sound bite. Yep. Yep. In a similar, in a similar way to letting students kind of figure it out. You're like, I could jump in, but now we're just, we're just going to see where this goes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, in terms of the leadership course, uh, so you said there were 20 other people in it. Yeah. About as I recall, we're, we're a group of about 20. Okay. Um, how, how was that facilitation and, and, uh, I'm curious, like the, the steps or the progressions that they took in terms of their own curriculum, uh, like how did they, how did they build that and how did it sort of reinforce that end goal, um, that you were mentioning? Yeah. So it, it's kind of structured like, a. I haven't been on like a whole lot of weekend retreats, but it's what I imagine a weekend retreat to kind of be like, you get a handbook of material and you you're working your way through it. You get like your schedule for the weekend. And I mean, it was, it's a lot. Um, You're going through this over like this larger philosophy of how adventure cycling leads their 
chores. Like I was saying before, it's not like other, um, you know, for-profit groups that are trying to provide a certain vacation experience. It's really much less about that and more like, how can we get people to, you know, have a great time bike touring and also, um, you know, empower them and, and facilitate more bike travel. So you're learning this overall philosophy while also learning a bit of the hands-on stuff. Like they'll have a skills clinic on lighting a stove and the logistics for how to organize group cooking <laughs> um, and how it's structured and organized. And then you'll go to, you know, have a little break. And then your next meeting will be, you know, talking about how you step back. They use the visual of a wheel, like a bike wheel, and how you step back from being in the hub or the middle of things to floating back towards the rim. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like so hard to describe. I'm glad I'm not leading the leadership course <laughs> it's, myself. It's working for like, me. You're, oh my you're good. <laughs> so, you know, how to stay on the periphery. And you're talking about like this, this kind of overall philosophy especially for the first couple of days. And then by day three, you're doing these role play situations and it's like a test and, and they're hard. They're really hard. I don't, and I don't want to give away like too much because honestly, I think people should just take the course. It is, it is seriously so valuable. Um, and I don't want to just like spell out like, you know, I want to leave a little mystery. Yeah, but, totally. <laughs> that, that's all right. But just, I mean, you'll just as a random example, you'll be put in a situation where it's like, okay, you have a campground host who is absolutely furious because some people trashed her campsite and you have to and go (laughs) and you don't, what do you do? And you go in blind. Mm -hmm. So the other people in your group, you get into small groups and the other people in your group know like their roles and they know what they're supposed to say and you're just supposed to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so it, and I mean, the thing about it is too, it's like, obviously you're not supposed to know like the perfect like situation. They're looking for like, what do you call them? Soft skills or whatever. Like they're looking for you to stay calm, stay patient, stay polite and not like, you know, try to, uh, bulldoze everybody into into doing what you want, <laughs> um, but to like apply like little nuggets that they've left in conversation, like little hints, like oh, do you remember when we said that you know this is our policy for an emergency situation, or you know we did mention <laughs> if you were if you were paying attention, we did mention <laughs> in class earlier um, that you know, you can do X, Y, Z, you have these options. So there is a certain amount of material that you have to apply in these role play situations. But at the same time, you have um, a certain amount of instinct that's supposed to kind of take over. Like, they're they're definite, I, I would imagine if I were judging someone on role play, I would be really concerned if they just, you know, came in and started just like bossing people around or something like that so it's very interesting to kind of go through this whole it's like a job interview honestly you know because they're you you get a certificate at the end of this course and if you don't show the the things that 
they're looking for, they're they're not going to give you the certificate. You don't get a participation <laughs> paper. You you have to pass. Right. So it was a it was a lot more um, intimidating once I once I got there and I realized like what I had stepped into. I was like, oh, okay. And you know, my personality is well, I. I came to pass. I don't fail. So, <laughs> it was a very, <laughs> it was a very intense, um, but awesome experience for nice. sure. <laughs> I like it. Uh, for anybody who's ever taken a wilderness first responder training or wilderness first aid, uh, what you were describing to me sounds like very similar to their style of teaching. Um, and it is a very like intense style, but it also gives you a lot of opportunity to uh, make mistakes and explore and really come out of the other end of that uh, feeling like you've gained a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For the group um, uh, or the nonprofit that you're working with, I'm curious if you would be willing to talk a little bit more about that and sort of how you got involved with them. Yes. So Momentum Bike Clubs is um, it's based currently out of a Clemson University, um, which is like a very short under an hour drive from us in Greenville. Um, it's a Clemson program. Um, and we are focused on, originally we were focused on middle school youth. So we have six, seventh and eighth graders who um, participate in like a weekly bike club. It's like an after school program and they are, um, it's grant funded. So the students get to ride a bike, they get to participate in these like activities and it's all free for them. Um, for a while we were doing a program where they earned a bike, but um, after getting like feedback from them, like what they were really getting out of it was like the social aspect of having like a safe space after school to have mentors and have those like friend relationships outside of what they might normally get to participate in. So over the years, it's, it's been going about 10, about 10 years. I hope I have that right. Um, and since just starting like in, just in one middle school, we've expanded to uh, a do over a dozen schools in our school district. And then as the middle schoolers got older, they really wanted not all of them, but a lot of them wanted to stay involved. So we started a high school chapter and we called that the challenge team. So our challenge team members um, do, a, um, instead of a once weekly ride, they get together three times a month. And one is just like life skills. And um, it's, it's honestly, it's kind of like a group therapy session. We call it circles. And it is just the best. We, um, we meet at a local uh, church that lets us um, use their space. And we meet with different local nonprofits who volunteer their time to teach us about budgeting and job interview skills and stress management and, um, you know, healthy relationships. We have um, a local uh nonprofit that's been we've been working with a lot in the last year really focusing on like developing healthy relationships and you know knowing the signs of like uh like abusive behavior basically um oh, and that's, that's amazing yeah yeah and it's it's been such honestly <laughs> this is like super cliche but i've gotten so much out of it just from like initially getting into it because I wanted to like be like like get back to my community I 
have seriously stayed in it because it has been such a valuable experience. Um, getting out of my own comfort zone. I mean, honestly, my day to, my, my day job is working with younger kids and working with high schoolers. I remember like the first ride I did and I was like, I don't know how to talk to a teenager. It's scary. <laughs> what if they don't think I'm cool? <laughs> right. That is, that is the all important question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm old now. And um, so just like, just getting out of my comfort zone and getting, getting to learn really along with them. I mean, there's so many things that we're not, taught as teenagers it's just like assume that we'll figure it out it's kind of like that meme i saw recently it's like well i you know took home ec and shop but no one ever told me how to do my taxes kind of mm. <laughs> right like just really useful life skills and i'm sitting there like man i wish i had this as a teenager and i mean i didn't have near the the challenges that our youth have um most of our youth have um, are, are facing a lot of just really difficult um, life situations. They might have experienced homelessness at some point just because of housing insecurity. They all have probably faced some sort of food insecurity. Um, they might have a parent or family member who's incarcerated or has been incarcerated. So they just have a lot of, you know, what you would call risk factors for having more difficulties just mm -hmm. just in how they just the hand that they were dealt and and it's hard to talk about on to be quite frank it's hard to talk about because i don't want to say oh these you know these youth are at risk because they are some of the most resilient amazing youth i've ever met yeah um, there's layers and to so it i don't like yeah I, I don't like saying oh you know they're, they're at risk like as if they're like um I don't know. It's it's hard. It's hard to find the language sometimes to like to be to acknowledge what all they've gone through, and also to not like put them on a different level or stigmatize them in any way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think I think when it comes to conversations like that, there is um, a, a risk, and it's it's or a pitfall that's really easy to to get into of being sort of like um paternalistic yes <laughs> I think. um and i know like you you're trying you're trying really hard not to sound like that and and i, I appreciate your efforts towards that um i don't i don't think you're coming across that way if that's a fear of yours <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i get what you're trying to say about how it's really hard to to talk about these things uh without sounding that way well, and, you know, these are very complicated issues. So I think it's pretty natural to experience, um, you know, some level of difficulty in, in talking about them because uh, <laughs> there is no, like, clean way to cut through that cake, as it were. Um, yeah. What, one thing that it does sound like that the program is representative of, though, is something that is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, you know, just in, in the description of your involvement with it and what people are getting out of it it certainly seems that um it's putting a lot of good and a lot of healing and a lot of validation out there it is and you know we're we're pretty upfront that we're we're just figuring things out as we go and we're we're changing the program as we get feedback and and are learning more about what's what's the best 
you know, use of our resources because we're, we are just a small nonprofit and just, you know, making changes as they're needed and just making sure we stay dynamic and flexible to that. And um, just really, our focus is really just building resilience um, because, you know, the more I learn about other people, the more I'm just convinced we've all been through some form of trauma. We've all been through something um, difficult and just learning like ways to build bridges in the community and reach out to each other and not shut each other off, which is kind of the, the easy way <laughs> to do things, to organize things. Um, but to really, um, yeah, just, just provide more connections, um, especially to, to those who are the most at, at the biggest disadvantage when we do wall each other off. Um, when we say, oh, I'm only going to, you know, associate within my own neighborhood or within my own like social circle or um, within, you know, this, this realm of my community when we, we like literally take the youth out to different parts of the community that they would not have seen otherwise. We bike through neighborhoods that they might not, that they might not um, otherwise have been to. We, you know, expose them to jobs that they probably wouldn't learn about in school. Um, we just use whatever like, community connections that we have though, to just kind of broaden their horizons. And it hopefully is doing more than that. Hopefully it's also opening up the community to saying like, Hey, there are youth in our community who have amazing potential if we provide the opportunities for them. So yeah. there's, there's a lot of layers to that. Yeah. For sure. It's uh, it's that investment. It's just saying, hey, you're worth it, and we're here to invest in you. 100%. In terms of the trip up to, and thank you for speaking on that, by the way. Um, I appreciate it. Uh, in terms of the plannings for Alaska, um, are those, you know, because you have extra time, are you are you kind of like extra planning? Uh, or are they, <laughs> is it pretty much oh. set in stone? Like, you know what you're going to do when you get up there? I, um, <laughs> when I do my bike tours, um, I buy my plane ticket when I can, and then I put off all the planning until about two weeks before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I'm like, Digital all high right, five. let's map this out. Let's <laughs> message some people on warm showers and let's reserve some. Uh, well, if it's just me, I've done a bunch of solo tours and I don't reserve campsites. So I just, mm. I just wing it. But obviously that's different if you're. It's not just you, and you're actually somewhat responsible for other people. Right. Mm-hmm. Enjoyment much, of the trip. <laughs> have you done much bandit camping then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So my first trip um, was in 2018. I got a ticket to Minneapolis, and I flew with my bike, put my bike together in the airport, and I rode to um, Detroit, basically. Um so I went across Wisconsin, I went across the UP, and then I went around the mitten and across. I went like down the coast, the uh, western coast of Michigan, yeah. and then um, I turned up Muskegon, and, and yeah. So that was about three weeks of just winging it. I had done some like uh, like a week-long tour like with my dad, um, but this was like another level because sure. I was completely on my own and no idea really what I was doing. <laughs> I am horrible at fixing flats. I just did it anyway. I, um, it was insanely smooth. 
<laughs> highly recommend the North Lakes route um, for people who are just getting into bike touring because it's very chill. It's like, I mean, the people in the Midwest are like extra, extra nice. <laughs> and, they have that reputation, um, yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, um, you know, I didn't have to worry about like bears and stuff so it was a nice like speaking of like you know building your skills incrementally I really did the same thing with myself I just figured out like what was just just at the edge of my comfort zone and just like kept mm-hmm. kind of pushing the pushing the the limit on there um so I to answer your question I did um stealth camp a couple times um and it's kind of funny though, in different regions, sometimes people just expect you to do it. Like I remember talking to people like when I was in the UP and they were like, well, yeah, of course you're going to just, just roll off in the woods somewhere in camp. And um, on the East coast, I feel like that's a lot more taboo um, or hard to do or just scary. Like that's just the impression I get anyway. And talking to people, people are like, Oh my gosh, where are you going to camp? You need to, you need to reserve a campsite. Um, and then also I have a, I mean, I have a lot of privilege just traveling by myself. I mean, a lot of people say like, oh, that's so scary traveling as a female. I'm like, yeah, you know what else I can do? Um, I can go up to people at a campsite that's like chock full of RVs and say, "Mm, could I just camp in that corner right there? Thanks. That would be great. Um, like I, like the reality is, yeah, of course, like there's absolutely risk. Um, I, I don't mean to like diminish that, but. Um, but also I can get away with just kind of ridiculous things. Like people are just like, Oh, that's so cute. Why don't you just like share our campsite? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know. It's just your perception of, sorry, my cat just had a complete spasm right there. Um, that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, (laughs) Do you have to clean up the hairball or something? No, she just um, she just like sprinted across the floor and ran into the wall. Um, oh. oh, like <laughs> it a was, cat's battle. It was extremely distracting. I, I wish I could have like showed it, but okay. Anyway, <laughs> so what I was saying was um, one of my main takeaways from bike touring is your perception of what it's going to be like is often nothing what it is like on the road. And like before I went out on this tour, like everyone I knew was like, Oh my gosh, like you don't know what you're doing. Like, are you sure? Like, like, I mean, I was like really freaked out. And then once I got out there, everyone was like, Oh, that sounds cool. Why don't you just uh, go up the road there and go get some rooskies at this local pub. And sorry, that's like a horrible Midwest accent. But like, that's a great Minnesota accent. (laughs) I mean, highly appreciate it from (laughs) Michigan approved. It was, wow. Thank you. That means a lot. Um, but, um, it's kind of like, um, so in 2019 then, okay. Last summer. Hello. Um, I, decided to ride my bike from Banff, Canada down to the, um, the Tetons and Yellowstone. So that was like a whole nother like level of, of nuts. And that's, you know, also people said, Oh my gosh, you're going to do what? Like, that's definitely bear country. Like that's, you know, um, and then when I got out there, people are like, 
oh cool so you're just like backcountry right like uh, like it's every day for them yes like oh yeah no big deal like what like why wouldn't you go do this so um and i think that's just also why travel is so important and not just you know you know traveling to like a resort or like a touristy place but like really getting your feet on the ground and really getting to know a place like you can with bike travel. It's just another level of like really getting to know a place, but also getting to know another frame of mind, like getting out of that maybe somewhat paranoid Mm -hmm. (laughs) attitude that a lot of people where I live have towards outdoorsy things. Like you're going to do what? Oh my gosh. Kind of uh, like, Sorry. Yeah, just where it's normal. It challenges those social norms. For sure. Yeah, I think it's super important because we, we as people, make the culture. Culture doesn't just appear or occur in a in a vacuum or a bubble. Like we, as participants, as, as humans, uh, we we create that reality. So. Mm. <laughs> Have you had, so you've done tours solo. Have you also toured with other individuals or do you mostly prefer the solo style? So in the last couple of years, um, I um, haven't been able to tour with my dad because he's been taking care of my grandparents. So I didn't feel like I had anyone to go with, but didn't want, didn't want to not do it. So I, um, I also work for a school district, so I have way more time off than most people I know have. And I didn't want to just do, oh, just one week or even two weeks. Like I wanted to be gone for a month. So (laughs) I know I'm very spoiled. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point of having summers off, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, I recently went with a friend out, uh, like I mentioned, to do uh, the Washington Loop. We went on a 700-mile loop out of Seattle and she had a week-long furlough, so we made it into 10 days. And that was an interesting experience because I, I didn't know how I'd like it because I was like, man, the only, like, real, quote-unquote, real bike tours that I've done, and certainly the only ones I've done lately, have been on my own. So am I going to like this? And I've been worried about how much compromise I would have to do with other people. <laughs> um, obviously, I'd have to do that in a group tour with Adventure Cycling. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's a different dynamic when you're with, um, someone who, you know, who is a friend, <laughs> it's like, is our friendship going to survive this? <laughs> um, and honestly it went great. It was, I mean, I'm sure there are people that I could bike tour with who I would get home and say, well, I'm never doing that again. But, um, thankfully that was not the case. We were very in line with, I think it's important to be in line with like your budget like what you're comfortable spending. We were on the same page with that. Um, She, I hope she listens to this because I gave her a hard time. You know, she was joking about like, oh, well, if it gets really bad, we'll hitchhike. I'm like, no, we won't. COVID, hello. (laughs) Um, I think that made her feel like, and again, Laura, if you're listening, sorry, but I think it made her feel better. And I think those are the kind of things, like on my first tour, I carried so much food. Um like way more than I needed to. I carried like a week's worth of food when I could have stopped in a town every day. Right. You took everything um, that you were going to eat. Yeah. It was just like a day. safety, yeah. th- like a security. Like this makes me feel 
Like, I'm okay. I have food. So I think that just made her feel better. Like, okay, well, if I can't physically do the mileage, then then we'll just hitchhike. I'm like, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, mm, okay. I just kind of just kind of ignored her and was like, we're, we're going to keep pedaling now because she's absolutely <laughs> capable of it. Have you, um, have you done tours uh, or have you ridden with her for extended periods of time previously? We, uh, she actually, I actually met her at Momentum. She's another mentor. So we'd done um, some of the overnight, like the camping things. Um, she was involved with that. And then on Memorial Day, we did um, a ride that if you go on Bikepacker and look up the Appalachian Gravel Growler, it is a insane route. They call it a seven out of 10. They're lying. Um, it's super, <laughs> super hard. Um, there's like a two mile hike and bike through a power line. Um, that's just like all up. Mm. now we went, well, we did it backwards. So it's supposed to be a descent. I wouldn't want to descend it either. It's, <laughs> it's insane. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to stay on my bike. Um, anyway, Appalachian gravel growler, highly recommend, but we did, we did a modified version of that this year. I did the actual thing last year. Um, and so I had gone on this kind of Memorial day, like four day ride, um, with her just, you know, end of May. And that's when she found out that she got furloughed. So she just kind of floated mm. this idea. She's like, what if we just like got plane, cheap plane tickets somewhere and then just, you know, went into the woods. Like, you know, we wouldn't be anywhere populated. We'd be just bikepacking somewhere. And, you know, I thought she was nuts. <laughs> and then she mentioned it again. And I don't know, I guess we kind of warmed up to the idea. And then I bought a plane ticket. I didn't, I didn't really pack until like, a day or two before because i was convinced that like our flight would be canceled i was like this isn't real no mm. no way like what am i doing what am i doing so it was very like just kind of thrown together but it was also really perfect like the parks were just opening when we got there and we got insanely lucky to be honest and i don't want to i don't want to like I mean, when I'm posting to Instagram and stuff, I'm definitely like super self-conscious talking about it because, you know, it's not like everybody can just go out and travel right now. That obviously would be good. I'm not, I don't want to like recommend that, but, um, but in so far as you can um, travel safely, especially like near where you live, that's most of what I'm doing right now is mm -hmm. like stuff in my own backyard that I normally don't get the time to explore um but there's so much great gravel in the western carolinas that i really wanted to pitch <laughs> um that um it's just amazing like what what you have nearby that might be might be an opportunity right now um while things are in flux and constantly changing and travel you know, big travel plans are much harder to, to swing. Um, that's, that's what I really want to recommend to people is, is to look into that. <laughs> nice. When you were touring, um, so I'm like, I'm always curious about group dynamics. Um, and I know like on my own personal tours that I've done, some folks that I tour with, like I literally meet them on the road and then like we're friends for the rest of life. And then other times yeah. I'm, I've known somebody and I'm like, we should go bike touring. And like, it, it can take a little bit to enmesh and like really get on the same page. Um, and I'm thinking of my trip down to San Diego back in, I don't know, like 2013 or 2014, where I had a good friend who we knew very well, but we hadn't toured together. And it literally took like a month before we figured out each other's style. 
and and their whole ride was like maybe a month and 15 days but we, we got down there and i was like oh you like to know exactly where we're going exactly how many miles and exactly where we'll sleep and i like to just point my bike south and figure it out <laughs> so like we eventually kind of got to a nice midpoint on that um i'm curious like what your what your strategies are for riding with uh multiple persons and, and kind of just you know making it making it work between different approaches or different styles in that regard yeah, so I think I got super lucky with um, my friend Laura, who I uh, traveled with this past trip. Um, I think we're just like what I was saying before, just on the same page on a lot of those things between budget and riding style. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to to um, like negotiate really um, with my with my dad. I ride a lot faster than him. And uh, we, we had to negotiate like the, the regrouping aspect. You know, if there was ever a turn, you don't, you don't take the turn. You, you wait for, <laughs> yeah. you know, you wait for the person you're with. And it, I mean, obviously it's going to depend on, do you both have the route, lo- the route loaded? Do you both have maps? Do you both have uh, your spare kit? I actually, um, last year when I was doing the ag ride, I got a flat um, and I was, I was a good ways behind. I like kept like catching up to everybody else as the slowest on that, that small group. And, um, I had everything except, except air. Mm. Someone oh. else had the CO2. So I was like, Oh God. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's, there's like kinks you like work out along the way. And there's a certain amount that you figure out to make things smoother, I guess. Um, you're, I think it just varies on who you're with and how much like, communication you have to you have to like overtly express Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus just kind of understanding each other um i think that can vary a ton but um i you know i've I've definitely gotten more experience than i've learned along the way but i also just my my personal motto that i um keep going back to is just like just jump in and don't don't be intimidated by how much you don't know because if i i remember the before i like ever did like a camping trip i was too afraid to turn on like the the pro the propane <laughs> the gas yeah. for a stove <laughs> wow see like i don't know <laughs> i don't know it could be um, propane it could be white gas i don't know yeah but you, i mean but i got back from this that, trip and my derailleur was messed we'll, up we'll and yeah yeah i got back from this trip and my derailleur was messed up and my boyfriend's like you don't you just you just like how far and you don't know how to like adjust like the barrels on your shifter cables <laughs> like what and i'm like there's a lot there's a lot i don't know i can tell you a lot about you know some things and then yeah. there's just huge mm-hmm. gaps in my knowledge but i just Obviously, you want to stay in the realm of what is safe for your ability, but um, just finding that that edge of your comfort zone, I guess, is just the the best thing I can say that would apply to all situations. I've met perfect strangers on the road and been like, "Hey, you want to tag along with me for a few days?" Just just kind of like going by feel, and then maybe after a few days, I was kind of sick of them, and I was ready to you know, move along. And it's a lot of things, times things just kind of work themselves out and you don't have to 
you don't have to like put as much effort or worry or stress into them as you think you might if mm-hmm. you that's also why i don't plan more than two weeks ahead of a trip <laughs> i'm like well i can make perfect plans and then you know a global pandemic will hit so yeah you know just just go with it just kind of roll with it but that's that's easier said than done but i think once you've done some some bike tours and hopefully not had any super crazy experiences i mean i lost my wallet the, the second day of my tour, the first day of my tour last year. Um, I figured it out. It was stressful. <laughs> I cried. I, I said a lot of bad words, but you know, at, um, one of, one of my outdoor guides years ago uh, on a different trip said at one point, and I'm going to misquote him, but he said like the, the situations where you say, Oh shit often will turn into the best stories. So just roll with it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> That is really just proven to be true, I think. Like, so even losing your wallet, you continued on with your tour. Yes. So thankfully, wow. um, thankfully, I had my passport. I was in Canada, um, <laughs> and I had at the last second in my flat kit, I'd stuck in like my. I have a duplicate credit card and a, and a spare driver's license, like with my old address on it. I I don't know if that's legal, but I. Every time I get a new, uh, a new license from the DMV, they just mail me one. And I'm like, I guess I'm supposed to destroy the old one, but I keep them for biking. Like, yeah. so I have one in my emergency kit. So I have ID on me. So, um, it's so, pretty smart. Yeah. I mean, usually, so your credit card will punch a hole in, in your driver's license. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a South days, Carolina thing Carolina. where we just yeah. can't be bothered. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. Hot tip. Um, I have a Discover card and they sent me an extra by mistake one time and I called them and I was like, hey, I have two credit cards. And he's like, oh, you could just keep one as like a backup. I was like, wait, I will. Um, I did the same thing for my health insurance card. So I just have like a backup. So I had that little mini backup wallet. Slight problem though, um, Discover doesn't work in Canada. Um, It works like everywhere, basically in the US pretty much. Um, I think maybe Walmart took it, but I wasn't in any places with a Walmart really. Um, so I, uh, added a few extra miles and went to a Western union and had my boyfriend wire me money. It was like a whole <laughs> crazy thing. And to be honest, I probably could have gotten five days with no cash, like to the border, just because I was carrying a lot of food again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and I had warm showers. So, so we were like feeding me, like I, I, I would have made, it. it was more a security thing. Like, Oh God, I need cash. Um, it was a very bizarre experience because on the one hand, Canada feels just like the U S but then when you do something like lose your wallet, you're like, I'm in a foreign country. Yeah. <laughs> it gets pretty real by myself. Oh yes, It got real, real, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was good. It was a growing experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and it's like, you know, that that's part of the fun of bike touring. Right. And you've said it in this episode too, you know, you, you just, you figure it out. Uh, yep. a lot of folks I talked to who are like, you rode what? And and you rode for how long? And I'm like, well, it was, you know, just one pedal in front of the other. Uh, yeah. you just do it a lot <laughs> for a long time <laughs> yeah. and ta-da, you're in a new place or a new country or a new state or, or whatnot. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nice. That sounds like an awesome experience. It was cool. And actually, um, I wrote about this for like adventure cycling asked for a story about trail angels and, um, I, I posted about it because I was like, Oh, I got a story. Um, before I got 
before I even got to the Western Union, um, and again, like that was more like my panic taking over, like I need cash. Um, uh, I ran into this this amazing trail angel of this um, older man who I was pulled over at this on the side of the road and was stopping to like just check the map and check my distance to my you know end point for the day. And he, he approached me and said, oh, I, um, I saw you up the road. Like, it looks like you're having this amazing adventure. And I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like barely holding it together. Cause I'm just like, I have a glass cake of emotion. And, um, it's real amazing. It's, it's yeah. really great. Um, and just in, while talking to him, I, I was just like, it, it's great. But, um, you know, I, I have, a, I have a few more miles to go than I thought because I lost my wallet and I, I'm just really stressed right now. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it caught me in a vulnerable moment and, um, and I was absolutely mortified, but he like shoved money in my hand and was like, Oh, take this. Like, it'll be okay. You'll make it. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, no. I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, it's, it's really okay. And then he just gave me more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Like, so, um, that, that's not the first time I've heard of that happening to people on tour who are kind of like having that moment. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a multiple occurrence from, from what I've known. <laughs> yeah. And I felt, I mean, I, I felt like awful i'm like no i'm just i'm just emotional right now i'm really gonna be okay i know that i'm okay but it just i just have a lot of feelings and um god it ended up being 70 canadian dollars when i when i like registered what what he had given me i was like oh god no i can't take this and he like insisted and i was like "Uh, okay and um but and then it was just so touching because then he said um you know, he's like me and my wife, you know, my wife has passed away, but we used to travel the world together and, um, and have all these adventures and those adventures, like it was, it was just like something out of a movie. I'll never leave you. I'll always be right here. And pointing to his heart, sorry, podcast. And, um, and I, that's, I'm sure I then just cried harder because it was just so, <laughs> it was like so poignant and, mm. um, it was just so neat. And he's like, and you're off to your adventure and you're going to, you're, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> like, Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, really amazing things can come out of the weirdest situations. Like I was one other one, just luck um, or just, you know, trail good fortune or whatever. Trail magic. Trail magic. Thank you. Trail magic um, was biking around Mount Rainier our first day we were worried about rain so we did 115 miles our first day because we were freaking out about the rain and we're like we're going to get to the top of the pass in the morning and it's going to be 40 degrees and raining and we're going to like die so we went up and over the pass the first day (laughs) we did two days in one day but around dinner time when we like we we actually started climbing like in the evening (laughs) and thankfully it's you know, it's like solstice at this point. So it's, it's, it's light out and we had plenty of light and the skies parted and it had been cloudy all day. And we were like, Oh, the mountain won't be out. That you know, that, that kind of sucks, but it's okay. You know, it, we're on bike tour. Everything's good. And I was biking with 
Laura, and I turned around to her and I said, this is crazy. The sky is blue right there. We're going to turn the corner and we're going to see mountain here. And we <laughs> did. And I mean, it was just one of those moments that's just like, everything's good. Everything's fine. My legs are going to hurt tomorrow, but everything's <laughs> fine. Like, yeah, <laughs> this is just magic. Just, oh, well, you- yeah. That's that's a go getter. I I've never ridden anywhere close to that amount in one day. Like I've been on a lot of tours, but like I think eighty one is as high as I've gotten on the mileage, and it's because I did bad directioning and rode twenty miles extra than needed. <laughs> it's like fifty yeah. miles. Thank you. I'll I'll take that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't really recommend planning on that, but uh, <laughs> it can be done. It can be done if you're really, if you're really. Re- I mean, there are pictures of us standing in front of um, like ice, uh, like snow drifts, like above our head, mm-hmm. and we're coming from South Carolina, where it's like ninety degrees, and the next day we're like, oh, here's some snow. I mean, <laughs> it was, um, it was, it was a shock. It was very motivating. Is I guess what I'm trying to say. It's very motivating to get over the pass and then the rest was smooth sailing (laughs) nice so um you know across all of your experiences and and what you've learned and what you're coming up to next what would your advice be to somebody who might be feeling on the edge or or that they're they want to but they need that extra little push to get out and into the outdoors what what would you say to that person Definitely, like, seek out people who know more than you do, (laughs) Um, who will, like, encourage you to, like, push yourself a bit. Like, doing group rides has physically gotten me into a place where I can do, like, crazy mileage days if I need to. (laughs) Um, And just meeting people who do backpacking gave me the courage to to turn on that lighter on that camp stove and like, um, you know, get over that initial like feeling of, I don't know what I'm doing. So like, like definitely like trying to surround yourself with people who, you know, go to a free REI class, Um, you know, put yourself in those like learning opportunities. Um, But then on top of that, you know, be, be willing to discover I'm so cheesy, but be willing to discover things about yourself that you never would have guessed. I, people look at me and they're like, oh, you must have always been super active. I was like, I was cut from every sports team I ever tried out for. I, I was a drama geek. I was a band geek. I, I, I hated sports. I still hate sports. I don't consider biking a sport. <laughs> like, I don't root for teams or whatever. I just, I, that part of my brain like just doesn't doesn't work i i have never like hardly ever gone to the gym unless i was like forced to um i'm i'm not who you would think of (laughs) i swear as an outdoorsy person or as someone who would do this i just ended up kind of following a path so just you know follow that little spark of what if and that little voice in your head that says like, that would be really cool to try. Um, Like I, I sold my car, which is unheard of in South Carolina. It's normal in Portland, I'm sure. But um, I sold my car after a few years of, it's been five years now, but it was like a slow journey of what if I tried this? What if I tried not getting in my car for a week? What if I tried not 
or tried getting groceries on my bike? What if I tried this? What if I tried this? And if it was just like, you know, just following that little what if and then making like little choices along the way to, to just change, it just changes everything yeah. really. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble on about stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, you you can come on and ramble anytime you want. Yeah. It's very been very nice chatting with you. Cool. Well, hopefully I'll make it to Portland before too long. <laughs> cool. Um, sounds good. Is there for anybody curious in sort of keeping up, getting in touch, or following your adventures? Uh, any social media links you would like to plug? Yeah, I'm pretty much just Instagram. I've I've all but given up on Facebook and Twitter, so. I just like taking pictures from my bike and um, it's rebel without a car, like rebel without a cause, but rebel without a car. And um, it's also, I also have rebel without a car.com as like my URL for, for like trip updates, like longer posts and recaps, but, but pretty much Instagram. And, um, and I love it when people DM me and ask me questions, like they can be super specific, like, about water filters or do you like this particular bike? And I mean, I'll, I'll happily talk to you about it. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, would you like to hang around for our news and headlines? Yeah. We always welcome folks to join and, and we invite comments from the peanut gallery as we go through these items <laughs> as well. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Sweet. Sweet. Ready for this, Aaron? I think so. Here we go. Don't don't ever use that. Don't worry, Tim. We will faithfully use that every <laughs> single Still, week. Whether you want us to or not. That's right. Uh, June 1st through July 5th is Petalpalooza 2020. Still going on here. Still happening. Yes. Uh, no longer individual day hashtags, but there is a Petalpalooza hashtag. And lo and behold, today? Is it today? No, it is today. It's tree day, which is my day. So I need to go out and ride oh. and see some trees. Uh, I have been very busy this day. month, and it's basically <laughs> uh, completely slipped my attention. Um, oh, but man. I will be going out after this episode recording and saying hi to some of my favorites, uh, one of which is a tulip tree in my neighborhood uh, just up to the northeast. And I discovered it was called that because... Uh, the leaves, before they're fully fledged, look like tulips coming off of the branch in their uh, maturation, which is a pretty cool sight. I was imagining a tree that actually grew tulip flowers. Oh, I wish. Yeah. Well, like so, some, sort of, some sort of variant <laughs> tulip. I found out about it this winter, and it's got like one of those plaques by it. Um, okay. And I was like, I need, I like, I must walk by this in the springtime and see what's going on. So, <laughs> like, I was a little disappointed, but I was also like super happy. Um, and if you read the tree day description, um, I encourage people if they are to participate in tree days, uh, look at, you know, identify a tree that you're feeling particularly, um, affinity towards, close your eyes and see if you can pick out that tree's leaves. And because of the shape of the tulip tree's leaves itself, you can actually hear it. If you close your eyes, like in the soundscape that is the breeze roaming around Portland, um, it's, it's pretty swell in my opinion, but I tend to be pretty tree centric. So maybe it's just me. <laughs> August 15th is still happening. Last I checked the Swift summit, 200, 100 in Lebanon, Oregon hey. version four. Yeah. V four. 
Uh, August 16th is the Swift Summit Northwest Hill Climb location unknown. Still unknown. <laughs> is it still September. unknown because we haven't updated it or because it's no, still I, unknown? I checked, not last week, the week before, and it was still TBD. Okay, sweet. We're, we're, yeah. doing, we're doing right by that ride then. Yeah, we're at, we're at least two weeks updated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, September 12th is the Lads 500 fifth first annual right here in portland that's right and uh we are showcasing as a ride for this week let's see let us showcase the second friday of every month if it is still happening right now check in the boston bike party much love to boston I feel like I need to like cross my cross fingers all for all of these. Like, please. Yep, yep. Please. Well, hey, we keep saying them because guess what? <laughs> when there is time to ride, and it, there will eventually be time, uh, they will they will likely be there. So we'd love to keep supporting them that way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Headline is actually a piece of history that I found. So, what would you call that? History line? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> I was going to um, do it the reverse, but I won't actually say that on air. <laughs> yes. Uh, from historynet.com, it is the Buffalo Soldiers who yes! rode bikes. The yes, 25th yes, yes. Regiment of the U.S. Army, Army established in Fort Missoula, which is now the city of Missoula, Montana, where I was last week, in 1877. The 25th, the men of the 25th first arrived in 1888. Eight years later, Major General Nelson Miles gave Lieutenant Moss permission to organize the 25th Infantry Bicycle Corps to test the practicality of bicycle for military use in mountainous country. I love this story. These oh, guys heard are this before. Yes, these guys are so badass. Like Oh my gosh, yeah. Any this... like kind of like gravel like weekend warrior or whatever, I just want to be like, no, look at what these guys did. You, <laughs> you did don't nothing. Shit, you don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, a whole regiment um, going up and through the mountains. Um, in August of 1896, eight volunteers, including Sergeant Mingo Sanders, made their first excursion pedaling north to McDonald Lake in the Mission Mountains, a four-day, 126-mile round trip. And later that summer, a 23-day, 800-mile bicycle trek from Fort Missoula to Yellowstone National Park and back again. And, you know, I'm not much of a uh, gram granny, I believe is the is the pejorative, but um, I don't think I could do anything near this on my bike, much less the heavy-duty steel bikes that they were riding at that time. Yeah. What yeah. An amazing no, those group. were no joke. Yeah. 
Um, I first got hint of this um, from a picture on Instagram, and I chased down the story here on HistoryNet, and I thought I was being clever, and I sent the link to my brother in Missoula and was like, hey, check out what happened, you know, in your town, you know, hundreds of years ago. And he was like, oh, yeah, I, I knew all about that. There was a thing at our airport. I don't know if you saw it, and apparently I didn't. But, <laughs> but yeah, this is amazing. Indeed. I'm trying to, I was I was trying to sneakily search it in my email there. Um, there is a filmmaker, I think based out of Missoula itself, who has been working on doing a reenactment of that journey, oh, okay. the historical trek. Um, and I had reached out to them back when I was working with Film to Buy Bike, but it was still on sort of the pre-production phase. Uh, so I will try to see if I can fish up that email and see how the project went because they uh they had a trailer for it and it was great it was like a literally like full scale like hey this is what happened and here's where wow. they went and uh yeah uh, uh yeah a, a a true to time period reenactment of of one of their journeys that they took um so that was pretty inspiring wow all right that's it for headlines and history. I don't have another headline. Yeah. That's okay. You know what we do have? We got mail. <laughs> hey, we got mail. From executive producer Brock Didis, quote, should I get one? Uh, a link to the shuttle bike kit. Turn your bicycle into a pedal boat. Do you want to escape from the traffic hazards in your city? The shuttle bike kit comes in a backpack with pontoons, a rudder, and a body roller. The body roller attaches to the wheels and tunes pedaling into propulsion. This kit ultimately turns your bicycle into a water pedal bike within 10 minutes. So I've been looking at these pictures, and I still can't figure out what propels the boat. I have this passion. big fear that <laughs> passion. I have this big fear that like I'm gonna get out in the water. I'm gonna get one of these. I'm gonna get out in the water, and then I'm just gonna like kind of aimlessly float around. How's our yeah. How's our Patreon doing? Do we have to Do we have to do this for science? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know. <laughs> I think we we also had another um, mail item from a listener about somebody who does do. kind of do a pedal bike. I don't know if it is in this episode but uh we can we yeah. can have it in the next one or have it in soon um you're talking from listener jason d uh not uh, jason d it was a oh. i think it was a facebook post of a cyclist in newport who has been making a home contraption that allows them to do kind of like i would call it kayak biking uh and they uh. they go on increasingly large adventures um i i don't I don't recall the specifics uh, off the top of my head. So what I will say is uh, thank you for sending that our way. And uh, I'll, I'll look to see if I can fish that out and uh, we can get it as part of the next episode as well. Um, for all of our listeners who might be listening to this episode in particular, every month this year is boat <laughs> month. boat month. <laughs> so yes, yeah, send us your bike plus boat related <laughs> topics. We would love to see them. And speaking of, I kind of alluded to earlier, from listener Jason D. Hi, guys. Love the show. Really enjoyed the recent shows. And the last one inspired me to get off my dead ass and get moving on a homemade bike toe stick for the kayak. Obvious challenge to this to solve is not taking two cars for every short paddle. So the plan was to drop the bike off at the 
take out and drive to the put-in a few miles upstream, scored the Portage Wheels second hand for $20, and then scabbed some parts and pieces together to make the tow stick. Great adventure. Had to make multiple adjustments along the way, including one where I didn't even realize the boat had detached from the stick. Fishing turned out to be great, and all had less than 20 minutes from the house. Sharing some pics. Don't laugh at the setup too hard. Thanks for the inspiration. I didn't laugh. I think my jaw just oh my like dropped it to the floor in yeah. awe of this setup. I wish I could share these, share these pics over Zoom, because I, I honestly was very impressed. Um, oh, yeah. Because these are all pieces that really you could, if you don't have at home, you could get from your local, you know, uh, grocer slash hardware store. Yeah, it's it's pretty slick. I think um, Brock and and we'll be able to put up some for the episode posting. Yeah. Uh, I have not myself seen a finer use of zip ties in recent memory. Uh, so <laughs> kudos for that use yes. of the kayak stick. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I do wish we had photos to show on Zoom right now. Uh, and thanks for sending those in, too. It, it has been kind of boat month, true in and out. Uh, I, I still have designs to get out onto the bike and boat uh, soon. I had work work finally like picked up the phone and said, hey, we need you to do something. So it might be a little bit postponed from the original <laughs> timeline. Uh, but I will be out and bike, kayak, boating, rafting soon. And uh, we look forward to that. Right on. Well, it looks like we have reached the end of all things. That we have. And thanks to listener Jason D. Also, thanks to Mary for joining us yeah. this evening. Woo. Thank you for your time and for sharing your experience and your perspective on the trips that you've done. It's It's been um, incredibly informative. And thank you for being willing to do that with us. Absolutely. Anytime. It was super fun. <laughs> Indeed. Um, in the classic Sprocket outro, do you have any style or whim or fancy in which we should read the exit credits? Uh, and I will oh always, I always tell folks, gosh. you can take a mulligan, uh, but we do put it out there. Uh, I should have been more prepared for this. <laughs> have you done a pirate voice yet? Probably. Maybe. But well, we it's been a while. It <laughs> we haven't, we haven't done it recently. Drunk pirate. I want a drunk pirate. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks to the beer mongers, you'll get the drunk part. I'll do my best on the pirate. <laughs> 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 All right. You ready for this, Aaron? Ready as I'll ever be. Gar the Sprocket Podcast is produced <laughs> at X-Ray FM Studios, but it's not really anymore because we do it on Zoom. Thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-8479774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. And thanks to J- Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. And Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, 
Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Wesenski, and Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric White, Todd Parker, Dan Gephardt, who's a time traveler. traveler, Chris Smith. Caleb Jacobson, Jerry P. Cooley. Peanut Butter Jar Matt R. I could do with some food right now. Marco Lowe, Rich Arterstrom. Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder. Anna, who is feeding the crows outside. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Andre Johnson, King of Division. Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who is on the screen across from me. Arr. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Re-Granary. And Campsite, Mac Nurse David and Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Blay. A thanks to Tim Coleman, Harry Heagle. Hugo, Hugo, E.J. Finneran, Brad Hipwell, Thomas Skado, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom, who could serve on our ship any day, Joyce Yarr. Wilson, Ryan Tam, Jason Austenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore, a thanks to Todd Grusbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Hi, into Gregory. I spotted ye off the comments section on a leaf pathless pedaled stream. A good salutations to you, sir. Marshall, Paula at Funataki Cyclecraft. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rooks. Kaka! Philip M. Spartandale. No, no relation. relation. Mr. T, who never really left Bike Initiative. Keywinall. Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hole, but I won't tell you where my hole is. Beth Hammond. <laughs> Greg Murphy. Myra Martinez. Oso. Isaac M. David Christensen. 503. Our newest donor, Byron Patterson and JT. And to all of our farmer donors who helped us get this far. Now, <laughs> wash your hands. And wear <laughs> your mask. Yar. Alrighty. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry about it. Oh, thanks oh, again, Mark. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys so much. <laughs> you too. Uh, we'll keep thank in you. touch and, and uh, talk soon. All right. <laughs> Bye. Cheers. Have a good evening. <laughs>